Tonight on our first spooky season episode in our show's history, we hear a classic Staten Island urban legend of a crazed serial killer with a penchant for nabbing kids off the street. We explore the abandoned institutions looming over the woods in the heart of the borough that potentially inspired the tale. Keep listening tonight for a disturbing twist that will chill you to the bone. It's Wednesday at 9 p.m. Welcome back, guys, to a very special episode. Before we get in, some brief announcements. This is our first October, which naturally lends itself very well to our show. We've got big plans for this month. I hope you guys are excited. And a special special. We'll be releasing one episode per week for all of October instead of once every two weeks, given that I can edit everything in time. (laughs) And we'll have a Halloween special campfire episode in the form of a roundtable with ourselves and our friends. So look out for that episode to drop Halloween night. How are you guys feeling about our first October on the show? I think it's exciting. Yeah, spooky season always brings out the ghouls and goblins. Yeah, so we're going to have some episodes that maybe are a little more Halloween-themed or a little spookier, a little, you know, change up a tiny bit. I think, I know Nick has some interesting things down the line that he's told me about, um, which I'm a little... Yeah, get ready for next week. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting there, so I can't wait to hear what you come up with too, Aaron. And before we get into ours, other announcements, of course, we've got shout-outs. Any shout outs? Oh, I got some shout outs. Shout out to Troy from Nick. Um, shout out to uh, Fallon for helping set us up with a Facebook page and business cards. Um, yes. Which we may or may not include on the website. Yes. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Certainly. All right. And lastly, for uh, Bobby, uh, who has been distributing the you business beat me cards. To it. And, oh, sorry. All right, you you go with your shout out. Shout out to Bobby's mom who left us feedback on last episode on our website, Wednesday9pm.com slash 13, I believe, is that episode. Yep. Yep. And of course, go ahead, Nick. Shout out, of course, to David Hoy. Of course, you got it. You got it. Shout out to my girlfriend, Maddie, and my mom who have somehow stuck it through every episode. That's wonderful. That's what, like that explains and the yeah. Have given five stars on Apple Podcasts. Remember to rate the podcasts. Yeah, I was just looking at that today. We actually have a pretty good rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. There still is one person that left us a one star review on Apple Podcasts. I still think it's Wolf, but <laughs> that's probably it's a very good chance. That's a good chance. But that's okay. That's, that's the only thing keeping us back from getting sponsors. Honestly, it's that one thing. We'll, we'll convince him one day. Maybe yeah. he'll be on the roundtable for Halloween. We'll see if we can get them, but okay. So like I said, little, little spookier episodes, we're going to start off Spooktober with a good old urban legend. Black Eyed Kids? Well, this one is a little more local to all of us, but me in particular. So of course, New York, like any other state, has its fair share of urban legends passed down over generations and generations, often orally. Stories shared around campfires, ones like the one I was around just last weekend with some friends. Shared when the darkness around the fire dimming seems to hold who knows what kind of spooks. So 
What do you guys know about the wonderful, oft-overlooked borough of Staten Island? Anything? Um, I'm pretty sure, because I looked recently at cost of living there. It's not that expensive to live there, but people make a lot of money there. So honestly, like relatively, like for the cost of living. So honestly, maybe it's better than Manhattan. That's for sure. That is that is such a fresh take, I will say, as a non-city person. I did not expect you to to say to say that's awesome. What about you, Aaron? Have, do you know anything about Staten Island? It is closer um, to Jersey than to the rest of the city. To the rest yeah, of the state. but I don't want. I don't like going up to the city all that often. Um, aren't the Impractical Jokers from Staten Island? I believe they are. Yes, that's about the extent of my knowledge about and Staten Island. Best export. Okay, well, yeah, we could have done without that one. Just saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. So Staten Island is that somewhat triangular island in the New York Harbor, south of Manhattan, between Jersey and Brooklyn. And interestingly, it is closer to Jersey than New York. And while it's the least populated borough, it's the third largest of the city. And over 40% of its residents are of, uh, Italian descent. Nah. Ayo, I have them in my notes. Ayo. So I'm interested to say that. And Is that a new episode title? Yeah, that'd be funny. <laughs> Ayo. Staten has a, also a crazy number of parks and large amount of forested land. This is kind of because the island was kind of, I don't want to say ignored. It was kind of isolated from the rest of the city, especially before there was a bridge between it and Brooklyn, built in, I want to say the 50s or the 60s. I have distant relatives here and I visited for like family reunions in the past and I have some good friends from high school. So nobody better, better make fun of a uh, Staten Island or uh, you might end up sleeping with the fishes. See? And with that, back to urban legends, right? Now, there's a stretch of pretty old forested land across Staten Island called the Green Belt. And bordering this Green Belt, there are, you know, Boy Scout camps and uh, what's most interesting is there are a few old abandoned institutions. There was an old tuberculosis ward and the New York City Farm Colony, which was a poor farm. Harkening back to Nick's story about, what was the name of the place? Rolling Hills Asylum. Rolling Hills Asylum also was a poor farm for a time, right, where folks worked. Yeah, uh, just don't tell Sharon that it exists. I know, right? She might swoop in and purchase the property. So this forested area and, you know, even the abandoned areas around, kids would often hang out in the area trying to scare each other with spooky stories of monsters and killers and so on. And the story I want to focus on in the 1970s, one particular urban legend was very prevalent in Staten Island. It was said that a crazed murderer hiding away in the woods in one of the abandoned, dilapidated buildings was an escaped patient from one of the mental asylums there. Uh, it was said that he had a long, long knife in his left hand and a hook for his right hand. And it was said he was very skilled with both. And it'd be whispered from parents to kids saying, hey, don't go, you know, don't go out at night. Don't, you know, get off the school bus and get right back home. Uh, and it'd be whispered between, you know, Boy Scouts at camp or, or kids at summer camp. It was said that he'd stalk children that strayed too far into the woods near his haunt. And when nobody was looking, he would hook him in, drag him into the woods, back to his abandoned hospital lair to never be seen again. And, of course, 
it was said they'd suffer a horrifying fate. Chopped to pieces. So, yeah, pretty disturbing urban legend that was shared for those years. And it said that this madman was, of course, right, his backstory. He was ruthlessly abused in the mental institution he was in before it was shut down. And as a result, you know, he escaped and he seeks to inflict the same pain and suffering on other children in revenge. And this is interesting. I found that this general legend was pretty popular across a wider region than just Staten Island, like kind of the whole Hudson River Valley area, downstate New York, and all over the Jersey has this kind of very similar idea. I just want to ask you guys, do you have any local urban legends from your parts of the woods? Not that I can think of. No offense um, here, you mean you have like, like the, three people around you. There's, okay, you, know, like, you mean nah. like the classic, like, oh, he's got a hook for a hand and he's yeah, going to get yeah. you. No, not that I can think of. There's, I mean, I have a haunt, like a alleged haunted location in my, in Johnstown. Are you Knox, talking about the Knox mansion? Oh, okay. But, but no, uh, urban legends of crazed killers. No, but we did have one of the, we did have a clown flap when that was happening. Oh, that's spooky. Um, but there is, I don't know if it's really an urban legend, but like, if you knew there was a, a guy that I went to middle school and uh, early high school with because then uh, his family ended up moving. He and his family lived in this really big old house off of uh, Route 5. And if you were like friends with him or like you knew the family relatively well, then you you would know like the house I'm talking about. But uh, my friend Chris was friends with him and stayed at the house. And uh, a lot of weird things happened. So it's like, he experienced them, the family experienced them. So not really an urban legend, but it is like. A little more you, real than an urban legend, though. Yeah, if you know, like, it's a pretty. We got to get him on the place. show to tell a story. Nick, is that the story his dad told or something once in the video that you showed me? Or am I thinking no, of something no, no, totally no. different? This, is a, this was totally different. Like, this would. We were f- friends with this uh, guy when we were in, like, I don't know. Well, he was closer with him than I, Chris was closer with him than I was, but like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Gotcha. Nick, what about that Native American land? That's a, Oh yeah. I guess that is an urban legend. The uh, off, uh, I think it's on Hickory Hill. Yeah. I don't know where it is. I, don't, I, just... I think that's what it's off of. Um, yeah. Right near one of my friends, there is like an old uh, Native American village there and the story goes that martyrs were killed there uh and um were tortured basically and there's the story of this pole on the property called the torture pole and uh apparently uh it will constantly move and people being some people some of them being my friends have gone there and have had very interesting experiences. Again, Chris being one of them, we definitely should get him on the show. We actually, no, we actually should. <laughs> Cause yeah, he does. He's had a lot of stuff, but yeah, not just a lot of more like people experiences than urban legends. We don't have any like woman, women in white, black eyed kids stuff, but like locations that are said to be haunted. And then there are stories that come from those places. Definitely. Definitely. That's interesting. I need to, need to, it would actually would be great to get Chris on. I don't know if you can make that happen. 
look into that. Look into that. After um, closer to winter, because then he'll be laid off. Perfect. <laughs> well, construction, seasonal unemployment. <laughs> no, you're going to get him fired. Yeah, I'm going to say, this guy, he's haunted. Don't worry. He's haunted. <laughs> he's haunted. Yeah, it's spiritual. Yeah, you, you could pass it like a virus, no? When you got, you know, you got poltergeist on, you pass oh, it to other people. Oh, what was, oh, what was that episode of the Wolfman uh, virus or whatever? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, it said that, that. I mean, people experience paranormal things, poltergeists, ghosts. Sometimes they bring it home. And sometimes it passes to family members. Oh, yeah. Through contact or not even through any contact, which is weird, but that's for another time. Now, next question. Do you guys have in your neighborhoods or your local cities any old hospitals that are abandoned or mental, mental institutions that are abandoned? Nope. nope. Yeah. So one theory that... um. I was reading about the proliferation of these sorts of urban legends is that as people were moving out of like, you know, deep in the cities to more suburban areas, they started seeing these kind of old abandoned institutions on the land they were moving to and, you know, started coming up with, with these sorts of urban legends. Um, I want to focus on some of those institutions. So the New York farm colony, this started way, way back, early 19th century. Actually, even earlier than that, uh, goes back, I think, of potentially over 100 years, maybe even 200 years. Uh, this, this was a home where the indigent, which I learned means poor, could earn their keep. And right next to it was Seaview Hospital, a place for tuberculosis patients. And both of these places are located right next to a particular Willowbrook State School, which we're going to learn about, factors very much into this legend. So these acres and acres of land have all these old crumbling buildings, a lot of history here. And once these places were abandoned, all sorts of people, from kids out for a good time to ghost hunters, invaded the grounds constantly. And in the 80s, you know, that's the height of the satanic panic. And it was said that those abandoned institutions were where devil worshippers held black masses on makeshift altars garnered from the ruins. That could probably be a whole story in and of itself. It's and like the same worshippers in Vale Cemetery. Yeah, there's always... And when was that comment left? Was that an old story? Was that like a recent one? Um, I'd have to go back. It was someone that relayed the story when they were younger. So I don't know how old that person is now. Um, yeah, so I guess it's, that's, but, that's just really is in like, you know, whether that's real or whether it's just in the, in the zeitgeist of people at the time and is carried through. Pretty interesting. Now, this Willbrook State School, it was said that this was the murderer's favorite hideout. And there was a name for this murderer in the legend, Cropsy. You guys ever heard the name Cropsy? No. Nope. I I'd never so. heard it either. I could not find in all my investigation the, the origin, the etymology of this name. It just seemed to have popped up in Staten Island <laughs> in the 70s. Maybe it was like an Italian slang word that maybe, has been maybe lost to time. It's, or yeah. someone was dyslexic and it was supposed to be corpsey. Oh, spooky. <laughs> but then it was like, oh, Corpsey I wrote with Cropsey the on the birth certificate. 
Who would that name their be. kid Corpsey? What's the guy's name? Corpse husband. Corpse husband, the, street, <laughs> the Twitch streamer or something, right? Yeah. We should ask him, yeah. Maybe um, you? Yeah, so I couldn't figure out the source of this name. And it's just something interesting. It's spelled C-R-O-P-S-E-Y. So all throughout the 70s, it was, you know, kids would say, hey, you know, well, gotta be careful. Don't, don't go in the, don't, don't check out the graffitied ruins of Willowbrook. You know, Cropsy will get you. He'll hook you. He'll, he'll make you disappear. And the reason all of these legends about Cropsy were circled, uh, circling around Willowbrook is because Willowbrook has a very disturbing history. Oh, good. Opened in 1938, it was used as a home for mentally disabled kids. And then during World War II, it had to serve as an army hospital. After the war, it was reopened as Willowbrook State School. And a number of, you know, quote unquote, students calling this a school mm, increased drastically, getting to a point where there was like a ratio of like every worker had like over 50 <laughs> students slash patients to attend to. Oh, my God. Now, it was called a school, but in practice, it was, quote, nothing more than a warehouse for the developmentally disabled. Basically, disabled kids were left there to be taken care of. And I guess from its just because of its distance from the rest of the city and the lack of scrutiny, especially back then in decades past. It just let terrible, terrible conditions last there for a really long time. In fact, Robert F. Kennedy called the place a snake pit back in 1965 after touring it and seeing the terrible conditions. But actually, it took years and years before the malpractice there came to light and was eventually shut down. In 1972, a doctor who worked there was so distressed about the conditions there and the treatment of the patients, he let a local investigative reporter, Geraldo Rivera, slip in to film what he saw. It's kind of cool. He literally slipped the guy a key and was like, just like, just go in with the camera one day and film what you see. There were a few other people who had managed to slip inside and report on what they saw, but this was the first guy to get it televised nationally, and it went wild. So I watched a documentary that included brief clips of this publicized report, and I would just say it is some of the most disturbing few seconds I've ever seen. few seconds? That's all they got? I was skipping through it because oh. I don't encourage you to watch it. It is linked in the description. <laughs> Perfect. What did he see when he went in? He saw patients who are children, right? These are children. Developmentally disabled, living in complete filth and disease, often naked, dressed in rags, smeared with, let's say, bodily fluids, scattered, like, on floors, just, like, squirming or running, or just, like, curled up. This sounds, like, as I'm saying, it sounds kind of crazy, but you can see the old-school 1972 TV footage of this. It's so disturbing. So there were disgusting, completely inhuman conditions for the children here. Uh, 
And these these were kids that were completely, I mean, I mean, think about like completely nonverbal kids sometimes who are really, really young, completely unable to take care of themselves or speak out for themselves. So this investigation uncovered a host of deplorable conditions, including, quote, overcrowding, inadequate sanitary facilities, and physical and sexual abuse of residents by members of the school's staff. So in the years prior to this, cutbacks in funding to Willowbrook brought down the number of staff to a skeleton crew of barely trained caretakers, some of whom probably really wanted to help and were trying to help and were totally overworked, but some who obviously delighted in abusing the patients with no repercussion. For the former of those that actually did care, it's tough to take care of 50 developmentally challenged children, much less 50 able children. I believe there were thousands of kids here. So imagine Yeah, but like 50 to a person, you said? At at least. I mean, that's how stretched then they were. Um, Crazy. Oh, it's, it's horrifying. I mean, the video is terrible. So you can imagine the legend of Cropsy being an escaped patient from this place uh, wanting to enact some revenge on the community. Makes a lot of sense. These were all kids who were dropped off and left by their families, and their families didn't really check on them, right? They thought, yeah, they'll, they'll be taken care of here. Totally abandoned. Staten Island, especially back then, kind of had this reputation of a dumping ground. It was used as a trash dump by the city for many, many, many years. Uh, it was used as a dumping ground for illicit things, <laughs> for bodies from the mafia, like from killings. <laughs> I, like, I wonder <laughs> where he's going with this. Yeah. Forget about it. And fortunately, even a lot of those stereotypes exist to this day where people go, oh, oh trash island. Oh, I could, I could smell Staten Island from here. Oh, you know, that's something really. your dad said. Now, my dad, my dad stands up for Staten Island because we have some family there and because it is mostly Italian. So it is associated with kind of anti-Italian-American uh, sentiment when you make fun of Staten Island. But to make matters worse, there were even hepatitis experiments done on the children here between 1956 and 1971. I don't even know what that would entail, just giving them hepatitis? Yeah. Well, they found <laughs> out that... Kids that arrived here, 90% of them would get hepatitis. Oh. No, no, that's just the, that's, that was like the, no, I bought, oh, no, that's not the right word. That was like the starting assumption. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a no, I thought. So they gave it to the 10 other percent oh. to investigate how hepatitis spread. Oh. And there's some disturbing quotes here. You know what? I'm going to read these and maybe in editing, I'll decide to get them out or not. So it was known that hepatitis was caused by virus, but it wasn't known how it spread, how it could be prevented, or how many types of viruses cause the disease. So one of the researchers, Saul Krugman from NYU at the time, did studies involving feeding live hepatitis virus from others' stool samples to 60 healthy children. And he watched as their skin and eyes turned yellow and their livers got bigger. He watched them vomit and refuse to eat. All became seriously ill. And he said he reasoned it was justifiable to inoculate disabled children at Willowbrook with hepatitis because most of them would get it anyway. And according to vaccinologist Maurice Hilleman, the Willowbrook studies were the most unethical medical experiments ever performed on children in the U.S. 
I was gonna say you got to put U.S. in there. <laughs> yeah. Yes, in the U.S. <laughs> like, well, come on. Yes, if only those are the worst in the world. And thank God, eventually, when this came to light and was publicized, the institution was sued by the parents of many of the patients. The state stepped in and went, "Oh shoot, we we messed up. How did we let this happen? We done goofed." But it took over ten years before the place finally was shut down, and all and the last patients were discharged. Most of these patients were moved out to group homes, but some were removed and just left to fend for themselves. So you can see how this, this urban legend's forming because it was whispered around these times that some of the patients that were left to fend for themselves out of habit just returned to the property that was now abandoned and took up shelter where? In the tunnels underground between the buildings. Cropsy was said to be one of such escaped patient. So the legend of Cropsy terrorized young boys and girls across Staten Island, making them scared to stay out late, causing them to keep an eye behind them when walking home at night. And I can just imagine, right? I mean, imagine your your teens, you're hanging out here in this abandoned property in the woods one day. All the, the graffiti walls and everything's falling apart, and you're joking, oh, watch out for Cropsy, making hook hands, right? And it, Scared kids for a whole generation. And now, you might think, that's, maybe that's the end of the legend. That's the end of the story. Uh, the legend slowly faded away as time went on. Obviously, by this point in time, I, I have never heard of the Cropsy legend. Uh, creepypastas online overtook these sorts of local legends, right? Well, unfortunately, that's not how the story ends. Because unfortunately. Yes, unfortunately. Oh. This urban legend took a pretty disturbing twist. Oh. So let's jump forward to 19, 1987. After a grueling and tireless 35-day search, a firefighter uncovers a small foot shallowly buried in the grounds of Willowbrook State School. The remains of a 12-year-old Jennifer Schwager, a local child with Down syndrome, who had just gone missing, was found. That's disturbing enough, but that wasn't the only child that had gone missing in Staten Island during that time. In fact, in the 70s and 80s, there were a string of mysterious child disappearances. The urban legend of Cropsy wasn't just an urban legend. It happened. Yeah. It actually happened. Who then was Cropsy? Is the question. Jack the Ripper. Well, we don't actually know, but there's one guy it probably was. And I'm going to tell his story. Andre Rand was an orderly so I think that just means like a janitor or, or like a worker. Oh, actually, let me rephrase that because um, he was not an orderly. That's an orderly. Is the orderly like the bodyguard of the hospital, pretty much? Kind of for like in the psychiatric ward, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like they do like the takedowns and stuff if yeah someone they do escapes or whatever. WWE SmackDown off the top rope. <sighs> Okay, yeah. the he's an orderly or a janitor. 
there's like conflicting reports. So let me rephrase that. Okay. Andre Rand was an orderly or janitor, it's not clear, that worked from 1966 to 1968 at Willowbrook. Now, back in the day, employers did not have very thorough background checks <laughs> like oh, they do nowadays. Man, so, I wonder where this is going. Lots of people who probably shouldn't get through would get through in these sorts of institutions, especially mm-hmm. those run by like the state. For example, there was even an escaped convict from, um, I believe it was the early 20th century, Willie Sutton, who changed his name, escaped from jail, and went to live and work at the New York Colony Farm for years. And no one realized. Did he, he was do anything with bad, it. though? Oh, yeah, he kept committing crimes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, he didn't stop. If he, if he was arrested and then changed his name and then got yeah, his life around, he's, like, oh, he's like, you know what? You know, Not going to do that again. Let him be. Oh, no, no, you kept committing crimes. All right, never mind. (laughs) So at Willowbrook, especially because of the budget cutbacks, basically anyone could get hired. Oh. Probably contributes to some of the the people who abuse the kids, too. Now, Rand, um, in retrospect, this guy should not be working at Willowbrook. He was first convicted of sexual assault on a minor. It was after... Uh, he left Willowbrook, but he had some a lot of previous history doing mess up things with kids. Everyone in the area who knew him knew there was something very wrong with him. Now, in a moment, I'm going to show you a picture. Actually, let's look at it right now. I will post a picture of this man. Check the show notes for it. It's being uploaded now to you guys. Oh. <laughs> what do you what do you think what do you think he, he looks like a like comically an old time villain <laughs> yeah i can see that <laughs> looks like a grumpy old man but like middle-aged how about do you see any crazy in his eyes or no not not oh especially. my oh goodness that now that, that second one, one that's uh is he drooling? something yes he is drooling he, in the second probably, photo he probably got beaten up so are you super drugged up that this too. guy this interesting man um his mother had suffered from mental illness and had lived at the pilgrim state asylum in long island which weird coincidence had the same floor plan as willowbrook interesting connection that he ended up working there then and although he left his job at willowbrook state school in 1966 he never left the grounds he set up a campsite actually a few campsites there sharing with many other homeless some of which were previous patients as they started being moved out and some of which had never stayed at Willowbrook or any of the surrounding institutions at all. And when the institutions fully closed, they all moved into the underground tunnels. So lots of the aspects of this urban legend of Cropsey are real. There were people living in the woods around Willowbrook of varying levels of stability and sanity Mm -hmm. in the underground tunnels. 
some of the buildings were purchased and sold to developers over time as as the institutions closed. But some of buildings still sat abandoned back then as they do today. Decrepit, covered in trash, weeds, and just scattered with remnants of the uh, the asylum and the hospitals and everything. As for that 12-year-old girl, Andre Rand was seen with that poor girl before her disappearance. And once on trial, that's the picture that you guys saw of him like being carried slash walking and his head is bent over drooling and he's bug-eyed. So that's in the 80s. Yes. Um, this was 1987 that he was uh, considered the prime suspect in the disappearance of that 12-year-old girl. Gotcha. I'd buy it. Just people seeing him look like that was enough to pretty much convince everyone that he was the kidnapper and the killer. However, there never was enough physical evidence, like actual evidence that could be found to link him to the killing. Really, even to the kidnapping, but public opinion, the jury was pretty convinced that he at least did the kidnapping. Mm. And he was convicted of kidnapping, though notably not of murder, and received a life sentence. Well, that's good. And later on, he was tied to at least four other child disappearances. He has like three or four life sentences at this point. I think he's eligible for parole when he's going to be like 100 or something like that. Is he, he's alive? Uh, yes. Actually, unless he's died in the past few years. Actually, I should look that up. He was alive as of a few years ago. Let's see if he's alive. Yes, he's alive. He's eligible for parole in 2037. That's... I think that's not right. How old is he right now? He was born in 1944, so he is probably like... He's going to be 80. 80? He's going to be 80, 79, 80. He's going to be 80 next year. Add 13 to that. He'll be 93 when he can be on parole. I feel like Damn. that's not long enough. Like, that's not a life sentence. That's like a... Hey, you're you're probably old enough. You know what? This is actually such an interesting thing that now we're talking about, and it will tie in to my episode. What? With how is this uh, good to tie in? At least in terms of uh, sentencing and sen- in oh. sentences that should not have that should have been longer. Interesting. Well, that's the thing. He was later later on. He was tied to at least a handful of other child disappearances from years past. So he was associated with a disappearance in 1972. So think about this. This is him in 1987 um, getting convicted for the kidnapping. And mm-hmm. later on, they piece things together and they associate him and they, they convict him of kidnapping as well. A five-year-old, Alice Pereira. In 1981, a seven-year-old named Holly Ann Hughes and an 11-year-old Tyhees Jackson, and in 1984, a 21-year-old, Hank Gaforio. He had a 21-year-old? Uh, so almost all of these, these people were developmentally disabled in some way. Yeah, that'll do it. Including Hank Gaforio, who was mm-hmm. just like a really sweet, well-known, uh, they called him a, quote, low IQ person, which nowadays is just like a, 
a joke that I would message one of you guys on Discord, but I guess, <laughs> you know, take that as, as you will for what that meant in like the 80s. Um, none of those bodies were ever found. Staten oh. Island is a pretty close-knit community. There are not many people there compared to the other boroughs. And this was a really, really shocking, harrowing, harrowing experience to the community there. And there were long searches, grueling searches for these, these people. Thank goodness at least the body of the 12-year-old, whose name I am pulling up. Bro, where's the name? Jennifer. The 12-year-old Jennifer was found. But none of the the bodies ever were found, and as of at least the past like t- ten years ago, people were still looking. Decades later, is there me not having been to Staten Island? Is there a lot of like places to look? Like I thought it was a city, so it was like a lot of buildings, not a lot of uh, places to bury a body. Per se. Yeah, so Staten Island is a much more suburban borough than okay. pretty much all the other boroughs um there's less people much more suburban as nick said it's actually might have the highest average like, income or net worth uh so very family oriented and because of the low relatively low density there's a lot of Forested places and gotcha. hidden places. And so real forest, not Long Island forests. Yeah, real forest. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They're not not uh, plastic trees planted right, along yeah. the highway to slow you down. Um, thank you for the clarification, Nick. That is that's a very important thing to make sure. Yes. So there are actually many places in Staten Island, gotcha. hence why it was used as a disposing place for uh, to to keep things away from the prying mom. eyes. Yeah. We'll say prying eyes, we'll say. (laughs) So, yeah. So, the differences here between the legend and reality were that these kids weren't disappearing from the woods. I mean, whoever was kidnapping them, whether it's Andre or not, probably was. It was just like almost in broad daylight. Like, it wouldn't be kids walking into the woods and disappearing. It'd be like during the day, these kids just disappeared. One kid walked and went to get soap at a grocery store. And disappeared on the way back. Um, it was those those sorts of things. So you can imagine how terrifying this was to a community. And I thought this was going to be pretty clear cut when I started to find out that there was an actual person potentially behind this. But there never actually was physical evidence found that made it obvious that Andre Rand committed the crimes. Yeah, because like at least for the like the one. She a uh, foot was found from Jennifer, and then the whole body. Oh, okay. So it's yeah, like the body, there's no yeah. murder weapon. Yeah. Right? And why would? And then like you know they always like weapon and then like motive. It's like why would he do that? Yeah. So like even yeah. if he even if he had problems. Yeah. So he had problems with children. I mean, and and the location of the the poor the, the buried body was found like a hundred yards from his campsite. But oh, there was never yards from his campsite. Uh, he was seen around the vicinity of some of the kids before they disappeared. But it was never like, hey, I saw. I'm you know Johnny told me he saw Andre Rand carrying like a little girl into the woods. Right. There was never any yeah. sort of that. There was never any clear evidence. And Andre Rand refused to ever speak 
Um, many believe, of course, that he committed the crimes. Others argue that he was framed and used as a scapegoat by a community that didn't want to accept that there could be more than one culprit. I mean, how terrifying would that be, knowing that someone's in your suburban neighborhood picking kids off the street? But and a 21-year-old. That's kind of the weird wrench. Yeah, and a 21-year-old. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not all kids. They all have developmental issues, but not you know, all kids. A little anecdote about that poor 21-year-old Hank. He was in the publicized, or this was all on TV, local news, like, mm-hmm. you know, the parents would show up and, you know, say, please help us, you know, come on the search, help us find our kids. And they'd show pictures and everything. In one of those broadcasts, the 21-year-old Hank is seen in the background, like right there in the background. Meanwhile, he was the next person to disappear. Whoa. Uh, pretty spooky, pretty, pretty spooky, sad stuff. But that's weird. There were also suspicions of a unnamed satanic cult at the time behind these. Classic these disappearances some suggest that there were like there was a network or a cabal dare i say of former no. patients living in the tunnels maybe they were possible suspects helping each other maybe they were helping andre and of course the speculation the stories became more and more sensational as more and more people got involved and more attention and more children disappeared so overall that's where the story ends. Andre Rand is in jail for a long, long time. Did he do it? Probably. And these crimes will always be associated with the legend of Cropsey. But they were real horrifying experiences for Staten Island in the 70s and 80s. And whoever the perpetrator was, they left long-lasting scars. On many residents. And if you want to learn more about the legend become reality of Cropsey and about the different perspectives, shout out to Aaron, multiple different perspectives on <laughs> Thanks, whether Frank. he could Appreciate potentially that. no problem, could potentially be responsible for all of them. I really highly recommend you watch the award-winning documentary from 2009 called Cropsey by Joshua Zeman and Barbara Brincaccio. It's free on Amazon Prime Video. And I was, uh, it's one of the sources. I was skimming through it a lot. And I plan to watch it in its entirety. It was a little too disturbing in the middle and sad, but it'll be linked in the description. But that was something that brought it back into the uh, national attention back in 2009, a few decades after it all happened, when the people who still experienced that time were still alive and still remembered it. And the family members of the children who disappeared were still are still wondering what happened to their sister, to their brother. What do you guys think? You know, this is one of those weird ones where, because th- think about what are, you know, the classic urban legends, right? Black eyed kids, women in yeah. white, so on and so forth. Those are the two that I just popped into my head. But those, you know, that's on the, you know, supernatural side of things so it's it's always or in like you know the yokai in japan and then this one it's a lot more grounded and then then there is something that happened 
like exactly related to it. Where it's yeah. like, if you see a woman in white on the road, no one's going to yeah, believe like, you unless it's, it's an half, actual person. That's half grounded, right? That's that, that one's like half grounded in reality, right? Like you, you can imagine someone. Yeah. Woman in white. You could literally imagine someone like trying to spook people dressing up as a woman in white oh, on the road, yeah. right? Like our kids, that one's a little, that one's more like. You just get crazy special contacts. Yeah. And then run at superhuman speeds towards a car. You know, with no. Halloween coming up, that would kind of be a cool costume for kids. Black I don't kids. give anyone any ideas. Anyone got kids out there? Give them contacts. I guess it's kind of lazy though, right? I mean, what do they dress up as? I don't know, but if you have a kid and they can do superhuman feats of strength, speed, or agility, put black contacts in their eyes and freak people out. That's what you should do, indeed. If your kid is... Uh... Yeah, if your kid can keep up with like a speeding car, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then go for it. But anyway, it, yeah, it's just it's really interesting that this time, an urban legend. I feel like all urban legends have some tin, you know, some twinge of truth that like something had to have happened that made someone think about this. Yeah, right. I mean, this it's one, like a chicken or the egg, right? Like, which one came yeah. first? You know, because yeah, which one came first for this one? Like, was it Cropsy and then the guy? I like I. I don't remember if you said the timeline, but yeah, it? it seems that the legend of Cropsy is Sounds like definitely seventies. Like yeah, it's roughly the same time period. Um, I couldn't find the earliest occurrence, but it seems like it was early, early seventies when it really became a really popular legend. Now, nineteen seventy two is when the five year old Alice disappears. So. Yeah. Could it be that there is like a single child disappearance and then the legend builds up around it? And then, like, does the culprit, whether it's Andre or not, like, feed, play off? Like, you know, it's like, it's a very interesting dynamic. Is it one of those things where it's like, fact like and if fiction. a serial killer like gets named, they're like, oh, you know, I'm going to go down in history as the Zodiac. Wait, is that a killer. thing? Is that like a. Yeah, I mean, like sociology I mean, is that considered a thing? That's interesting. Maybe not, but like on like crime shows and things. Like yeah. I remember, I was just watching an episode of maybe NCIS with my mom, and it was like some guy, like the media gave him a name, gave the killer a name, and so he was like, "I'm gonna go down in the history books. Everyone's gonna know my name, know my face, because he's just like insane and wanted to kill that's people for fame." I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. And then, of course, they do something in the show where they don't show the guy's face or say the name or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's a thing. Like, if you give a name to, like, a serial killer, you know, it'll kind of stroke their ego because most serial killers are probably very narcissistic. You would imagine. I, I, I mean, I would hope they are in the sense that I hope they're not just normal people, right? Because what does that mean for <laughs> that's us normal scarier. people? Right? <laughs> right? That would be scarier. <laughs> <laughs> I need to throw in, um, Andre Rand wasn't his birth name. Oh. Can you take a wild guess what his birth name was, at least his first name? What was his nationality? Uh, that's a great question. I believe... Looks Italian. Oh, was it Frank? It was Frank. Oh, <laughs> my God. Um, I didn't look that up. I just... Thought it was about what? Frank Rostam Rushan Rushan. He went by okay. a few different names. Then he went by Frank uh, Bruquette or Bruchette. 
and then Andre Rand, probably because he kept getting caught messing with kids. That's my yeah, guess. That'll do yeah. it. So I had a couple things I wanted to say. First off, um, to kind of branch, like make a bridge from what Nick was saying about giving someone a name gives them power and like boosts their ego. Um, that's actually very common in a lot of supernatural things where names hold very important powers over an entity or it's true whatever so i just want to add that little tidbit of that's a good point so maybe it's not just the supernatural maybe just life in general thrives off of name yeah i mean yeah no that is that is very interesting and the fact that the guy changes his name a lot i mean what is in the name i mean i would love to know where the the word cropsy came from right yeah, it is too. a creepy name, right? It does sound like the name of a creepy hook-handed murderer. Now, as far as I know, Andre Andre Rand didn't have a hook for a hand, but um, Cropsy. Yeah, I don't were know. You, were you saying something? Uh, remind me about something with a farm. Yeah, so right next to the Willowbrook State Hospital, in the same patch of forested land, there was right, so there was Willowbrook State Hospital, then there was a New York poor farm, poor colony farm, whatever, whatever it was, and right next to that was a hospital. So these three institutions were right next door to each other. So maybe Cropsy came from, like, literally just crop, and because there was a farm there, and maybe, like, people were like, oh... There's this guy that comes out of the the farm and his name's Cropsy. Like I don't. That's actually valid. Um, there are versions of the Cropsy legends that say he's from the abandoned, uh, poor farm instead of the mental institution. So, mm. yeah, I maybe, maybe you're onto case. something there. <laughs> yeah, I cracked the case. Um, <laughs> actually, though, maybe <laughs> and instead of a hook, it was just like a sickle. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. Guys, we're doing it. We're doing yep. it. Um, and also, I the other point I wanted to make, it escaped me. <laughs> I completely forgot. I had the, this train of thought and then it got interrupted. Um, shoot. Black-eyed kids, cropsy. N- n- no, Yokai. it had to... Names. Names. Japan. Oh. Poor farm. I remember what I was going to say. So, um, in a lot of movies, and this is a random tangent, but a lot, of, a, a lot of movies and stuff, there's this classic trope of, oh, there's this couple at make-out point, and there's a, a killer on the loose and whatever. Um, and usually those stories aren't like based in any like oh there was actually a killer so it's very weird to have seen this story and there's actually a killer like oh actually watch out for crops he's gonna come get you yeah i wonder when the kids would tell the stories after there were a few kids who disappeared like if they knew yeah if there's actually someone yeah would they they make a connection yeah would they make a connection like (laughs) Oh, watch out for Cropsy. He just got that kid last year, you know? That's a little dark, though. I don't know if kids would be that messed up. 
You're like, hey man, you're gonna, be, you're gonna be the third yeah, kid. Was, yeah, was yeah. What else would they do? Well, they got, the they got 70s, nothing else to do, right? Actually, seventies and eighties, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so if, it, was it was just Andre, interesting. Was, yeah. no, interesting, interesting to see that uh, this one was actually based in fact, not just an urban legend. Like, oh, watch out, it's gonna get you. Like, there's actually something going on, coincidental or not. Definitely. No, definitely. And, you know, there's still lots of unanswered questions. How many, how many homeless people are living on that property? And, you know, what, to what extent were they potentially involved? Why did Rand change his name? How long did he live on the grounds? He, he's never admitted to anything. He, he's really weird. He, he would, like, send letters to people from jail and write, like, I'll have links in the description for really bizarre rabbit holes about his behavior in jail. Um, one thing that I found interesting, I want to pose to you guys. This is weird. This is a crazy theory. Some say that his experience working at Willowbrook, just for those two years and seeing the terrible conditions there mm-hmm. of the children, of the developmentally uh, disabled children, maybe put him on like a sort of crusade to stop the suffering of little kids, particularly those who were handicapped. So he'd kill them to end their so suffering. He'd kill them. Because think about it, everyone that he that disappeared that was associated with him was in some way handicapped. So obviously and- yeah. I don't know about that. That's pretty messed up to even so, suppose. suppose. <laughs> but, so these killings were happening, though, when the hospital was still open, yes? Yeah, so the very last patients were removed from Willowbrook State Hospital in, like, the late 80s, I think. Uh, those in the process of being shut down. And these disappearances took place from early 70s to mid 80s or late 80s as well actually so over almost 20 years yeah i think if he was really trying to make it better for them he would have taken a different route (laughs) oh let's do what the the video documentary did and expose it or oh if i'm gonna kill someone maybe kill the people that are abusing these kids make a statement there but like i mean he abused kids too so yeah i don't that part too really doesn't make me think he was doing it out of the goodness of his heart no (laughs) definitely not (laughs) okay fine scrap that theory i don't know who came up with that one but very good one (laughs) so yeah yeah that's uh there are a lot of a little another anecdote. Um, in 1969, that's when Andre Rand was uh, arrested for trying to assault a that minor mm-hmm. in none other than the South Bronx, my stomping ground next door. And this next is really door. weird. Yeah, I'm in the East Bronx. I'm not the South Bronx. Oh, uh, I no thought you meant like next door to your house. I was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, this guy's my uncle. No, imagine. Um, in 1983, this one's just bizarre. In 1983, 
while working for a Staten Island school bus company. He kidnapped 11 children, bought Uh them lunch, and drove them to to Newark Airport for no apparent reason. So that was harmless, more or less. Is it harmless? No one got hurt. It's kids. psychologically I guess harmless. Technically, it is harmless. Or harmful. Technical. <laughs> Physically so, harmless. Mentally, so he maybe just, not. Did he just drop them off at the airport and just said, see ya? Or did I don't he see like, any other stay detail there. Yeah. Then... I don't That's know. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, this guy obviously has a history of with children he himself has issues he worked in a place that was pretty insane and he was seen with pretty much all these victims for example that 22 year old um he was the last seen with andre rand in a diner before disappearing Mm -hmm. so none of these it was never enough to convict him of murder but uh, he was being convicted of kidnapping up until like at least 2004. There were the trials were spread out over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, the bodies of all the of the other victims were never recovered. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think he probably. I don't think he killed them because it doesn't seem like from all the other things. Kidnapping, sure. But if they never showed up again, I, I'm not. And the I'm not saying he didn't body. have any. I'm not saying he didn't have an accomplice. Yeah, there were theories he had an accomplice that you was said like, he lived with a bunch of other homeless people. Yeah, there were a bunch on the property, and no one really so, knows how many or 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 who. It could have just been maybe that he was the one that procured the children, and then you know whoever else was the one. I mean, I don't want to say actually committing the crimes, but aside from kidnapping, actually committing the crimes. Yeah. No, definitely. And that's our first story of Spooktober, a real urban legend come to life. So if you're visiting Staten Island, probably still a touchy subject. Maybe don't go around talking about Cropsy. Again, I encourage you, if you want to look deeper into all of these, check out all the sources. The show notes every Wednesday. So next up is Nick. Can you give us any teaser for what's to come? In regards to talking about a lot of unanswered questions. Andre Rand, was he the right guy? Probably, but maybe not. Well, next week we'll be talking about a tool some, a tool some people have used to try and determine if someone is guilty or not. It's one use of it. Interesting. Very interesting. I can't wait. Aaron, do you happen to have any, uh, any idea what you're doing next? I'll I cut think, this if you don't. I, okay. I think I got something. I think I'm going to... Gonna go close to home for this one. Wonderful. I love local spooky stories. Man, I threw <laughs> I kind of threw local out the window of our slogan. That's all good. It's spooktober. We've got the spooky stories to to please everyone. True. That we sounds got, great. Next week we'll have a, a, a little more paranormal, will you say? Would you say than this? Oh, a lot. Much more on the supernatural side. Or swing into the other side. The pendulum's going to the other side. Swing into the other side. Home Fantastic. Run, well. Out to left field. And let me tell you, it's out the left field. <laughs> <laughs> A perfect Nick episode. 
Perfect. Well, I think my episode is going to be swinging that pendulum back. <laughs> we're going to be, gonna be <laughs> swinging back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then our Halloween special is culminating be, in our Halloween yeah, special. Yep. That should be a lot of fun. Make sure you tune into that. We'll drop that Halloween night. Who knows how many people or how many stories we're going to have on. We're going to try to figure that out. Also, as many good stories as we can. If you have any stories that you would uh, like us to tell or something yeah. that you want just kind of said in a more like in a very storytelling way like if you're yeah, reading it from we'll a book, it. post it on the website leave it yes. in a review on spotify or apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast i'm about to give the whole spiel so that's perfect yeah we'll check okay. it we'll check them out check them out and that's all for tonight's show as Nick said, remember to leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in if you enjoyed tonight's episode, or submit feedback, or a story you'd like us to share during that special at Wednesday at 9pm.com slash 14. That's Wednesday at 9pm.com, spelled out, no numbers. You'll also find the episode's write-up, images, locations, and references listed there if you want to do if you want to dig deeper which we always encourage you to do. And tell your friends to tune in while you're at it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 9 p.m. And remember, stay inside tonight.